Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And what's this? Two Oscar sprint profiles in a row? What is it, award season or something? I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike, in a moment to talk to you more about One Night in Miami. Uh, This is an Amazon movie that we had, also Mike has already seen. He gave kind of a quick preview to or a quick recap of earlier in the year. But now that it has debuted on Amazon, we are able to dive deep into it and give you a review in full, Michael. That is what we're talking about today yeah i'm glad we can revisit this movie and actually study this movie i'm glad uh this the schedule worked out i'm glad this is such a hit this is a big fat Mm. hit on amazon prime right now and everybody's talking about it so there is that imperative for us as not only oscar pundits but just lovers of uh of good movies of movies that matter in the zeitgeist for you know i mean it's 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 a movie we have to talk about and i'm glad for that today and i'm you know i'm very uh I'm very enthusiastic about where Amazon Prime's original movies are going of late because they got a lot of exciting projects this year as well. So it's been a weird year, Mike, but we got a lot of interesting projects. And this being a contender across the board is fascinating to both of us. Yeah, absolutely, and it's nice to see Amazon has stepped their game up. If you think about where uh, we were talking about, they were looking like they were heading with their projects just a year ago mm-hmm. around this time, but uh, One Night in Miami is what we're talking about tonight for an Oscar Sprint Profile. If you've not joined us before for an OSP, you get two reviews for the price of one. The first half of every OSP is going to be a non-spoiler one, so if you've not yet hit play on One Night in Miami on Amazon Prime, don't worry, we're not going to spoil it for you in the first half of this. You'll get a spoiler warning at the midpoint of this episode, letting you know that all All spoilers are coming in the second half, so it's all non-spoilers to start as we talk about One Night in Miami, which was directed by 2018's Best Supporting Actress Oscar winner Regina King in what is her directorial debut. And the screenwriter, a lot of big names attached to this, uh, the screenwriter and original playwright, as this was adapted from the stage, is Kemp Powers. And if that name rings a bell, it's because we just talked about him as the co-writer and co-director of another OSP we just recently did in Pixar's Soul. Yes, and Regina King, it's technically her debut. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but she does have a career as a director. Mike, this cast did an impeccable job and an impossible Mm. job portraying these legends and these historical heroes for us Uh, in One Night in Miami. We have Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X. He's from the High Fidelity TV show, Mike, and he's great in that as well. Uh, It's been the year of uh, Kingsley Benadire, who I always want to call Ben Kingsley Adir for some reason. It's crazy that's his name, but yes, I agree. <laughs> Leslie Odom Jr. of Hamilton. He's Aaron Burr in Hamilton. He plays Sam Cooke, full nose prosthetics in this movie. We have Aldous Hodge, who definitely has a great resume to his name on the silver screen. He's very underrated, yeah. He's Jim Brown in this movie. And Cassius Clay, who would, of course, go on to uh, the proud name of Muhammad Ali. We have Eli Goray Michael and you have some scores here. Yeah, so critics right now give One Night in Miami a 98% on Rotten Tomato. Wow, on 250 Mm. reviews, carrying as well an 83 Metascore. Audiences also have it at an 83%, uh, only 163 ratings there so far on Rotten Tomatoes. A 7.0 out of 10 on IMDb. On 2,900 votes, that's actually gone down from when I saw it last night, was about a 7.2 or 7.3. Well, it's an undislikable movie in many ways, I would say. Yeah. But I do think 
I do think we're going to try and have, and we have to, that's our job. We're going to try and power rank it today. Where does it exist in the Oscars mm-hmm. field? But there's no doubt about it. The critics are coming out in force on this movie. The audiences love it. And uh, for good reason, look at this plot premise, Mike. We have One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. My God, can a premise speak to our times more than this one? So, yeah, fascinating premise. Uh, I was under the impression this was a real story at one point, but it's kind of been hammered into our heads that this is a fictional account, a fictional account. Uh, Also, I think that's a little foolish of me to think that these four powerful men of their stature could have been just hanging out in a hotel room in Miami one night without the world going. I mean, it would have been Beatlemania all over again, I think. Yeah, but then again, if you look at dramatic history going back to Shakespeare you know this is the stuff that you know they they, we've made for the public I mean look just look at the crown for Christ's sake nowadays I mean it hasn't stopped I mean we take our historical heroes and Mm. we put them in historical fiction and we've always done that as a society so Kemp Powers is uh, drawing on a long and awards worthy uh, tradition no doubt about it Uh, just looking back at the last you know 10 years of biopics 20 years of biopics often these biopics are the core of what is uh, nominated every year at the Oscars. Yeah, and and this one's going to have Oscars legs. I guess that's as good a point of any to kind of dive in to our full-fledged non-spoiler review with the Oscars lens kind of working in throughout. I think the performances are a highlight, but we can start talking about the overall composition, direction, and script thoughts. You kind of alluded to this already. This is Regina King's first theatrical film uh, directorial debut, but not her first directorial debut, Michael. So, yes, she is a director of a documentary feature, uh, two TV movies, and 16 episodes of television on 11 different shows, Mike, and many of those are of the premium movie channel, premium television variety. So, yeah, she's had a full career already as a director, and this was her quote-unquote silver screen uh, theatrical debut uh, for a feature film. Film, But I also think it's fitting that she directs this movie coming off of her greatest success as a feature film director because this movie is about these four historical heroes dealing with prosperity, with success, with fame, with what to do next. This is Kemp Powers and this is Regina King. You know, with these real stakes for the communities at large, with the real, with some real stakes for their legacies and resumes, but each character, they're indisputably on top of the world at different levels in terms of their characters at different levels at this point. So each has already made their mark, much like Regina King. So she gets it. She's the right person for the job, bottom line, because this is a story about black prosperity and, and how you have to convert that into act not only just activism but just just good old-fashioned support in in your community we're doing this on the heels of martin luther king jr day uh this recording as we recorded here on the 19th and there was a, a quote by martin luther king that said i'm tired of marching uh, for what should have been mine at birth. And I can't help but think about that when I when I see yeah. a movie like this. And these guys, like how you just said, they have to turn their cachet into some kind of activism. To, to, I mean, it's 
yes, it's important, and it's just so sad we're still at that point, even now, whether we're talking about when this movie took place in the 60s or now in 2021, that this is still an issue that these people feel burdened to have to do, and, and, and I mean, it's it's special of them to do it, and it's right of them to do it. It's so it's just disheartening that they feel they have that burden still that we're at this place still in society. I can only hope we're progressing somewhat from when, uh, from the time though this movie first took place in the sixties to where we are now. What is, what is intense and what is just, it, it rocks you throughout this movie and in, in any movie about this subject, about mm. civil rights, about is the backdrop. The backdrop is so contentious and the, the menace that Malcolm X talks about is so, uh, you know, foreboding throughout this movie. And we, we understand it now more than ever, mm-hmm. even yep. though you, even though guys like you and I can never fully understand. Right. It, and that's, impo- that's important. That's important. I I mean, we say that a lot in our reviews, but I mean, yeah. if we're going to talk about this movie, it's probably more important than ever to understate that. I mean, yes, we're film critics and yes, we're going to bring our experiences to the table, but we fully understand that we will never understand. We say that a lot, but it's certainly rings true. So for Kemp Powers to make a bona fide fat hit out of this, to, for him to wow us in the end, like Robert McKee says, for him to, uh, to, to understand how to nail that third act and give us vegetables. I mean, this is a well-balanced meal to me, Michael. And I don't necessarily know if this feels like the, you know, the Oscar contender of the year kind of film to yeah. me, but it does feel like a movie that is going to do gangbusters on Amazon Prime that, that that is a hit and that you come away with just just feeling not just satisfied, but you you you're moved. You're you're, you're feeling great after this watch. It, it it feels not only nutritious, but just I mean, there's so much goodness uh, in this film, and you really get out of it more than than most movies in this year. And that wouldn't have happened if this was you know what uh, Rada Blank parodied in the forty year old version, Mike. Which in that movie they had to have a white producer and they had to have a white surrogate for the white audience and they had to have a white director and it was just getting away from her control and and, and any demand she made for a black director wouldn't work this wouldn't have worked in white hands this wouldn't have worked in the typical oscar fashion right. in the typical studio system fashion that we've seen and that we've been in, you know furious with for the last four years mike talking about oscar movies of the last 30 years this would not have worked in white hands period end of story and i, I i'm so so glad that Amazon is empowering uh, people to make movies about this uh, subject matter. Finally, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think uh, you know I don't know necessarily how much of a cinematic event it comes off as, but I think 98% in Rotten Tomatoes as far as the critic score. You know, maybe it's not the most thoroughly enjoyable movie ever, but I think it's kind of like Apollo 11 in that it's something that everyone should see and just experience and live through Mm. and kind of interpret. So I agree that like with the tomato meter is basically should you watch the film or not? I think 98% on the tomato meter is absolutely correct. I think you should watch this. I mean, I mean, maybe we're burying the lead or exposing the lead too early or teasing our review too early. It's something everyone should watch. Is it going to live up to its Oscars hype? Does it only have Oscars hype because of the year 2020 has been? I think that's kind of a different question. There's certainly Oscars goods within this, and there's one performance uh, in particular that I think stands up. Uh, does it live up to its screenplay hype? I know uh, like Variety has it number one as adapted screenplay right now. Clayton Davis is ranking. There's a couple others that have it very high. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I, I kind of am with you. I don't know if this was a typical Oscar year, if this one uh, would have the legs to kind of rise above the fray. That said, I'm glad it's coming out this year. I mean, this deserves a, as big of a stage and as big of a spotlight as it's getting right now. Yeah, I'm glad uh, in a year like this, One Night in Miami, a movie like this can be showcased because it's made by the right people and it's, and it's being seen at the right time. There's no question about it. That's fortuitous. Look, this movie has some issues. We've talked about them uh, on the show before. There's a lull in early act two. It's yeah. like four out of five scenes that are that are kind of boring. That are that I mean, it has a pacing problem there. I think that's just us being, you know, film critics at the yeah. end of the day that we we identify that. And we're not the only ones to identify that. There's also kind of the typical biopic dialogue at times full of name drops, full of Dewey Cox. Can movies ever get sports talk right? No, like <laughs> oh, you ran for eighteen hundred and sixty yards. It was eighteen sixty three. I know that that record. Who nobody talks like that when they're talking about sports. Correct, and <laughs> Kent Powers probably should know better because I know he's a big right. Fan. But no, it's I don't know if they care as much. I don't know if they care about. about I'm sure they do not. Right. I'm sure they do not. But yeah, I mean, there's some like, hey, it's John Lennon and Paul McCartney right. of the Beatles. <laughs> right. Hey, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. There's a lot of that going on. But if that's one of its worst sins, exactly. then it's really not a big sin. Because if you're going to the theater, and Kemp Powers wrote this for the theater years ago. If you're going to the theaters, you know, those nostalgia buttons, when they're hit, you know, and you, you're in that one setting or the, the two settings or whatever they got uh, if, if you're for intermission and whatnot. You know, if they, if that's the the gravest sin, fine. I mean, you're going to push those buttons it all day. It is interesting how, like, I think we're, we're more forgiving about something on stage, a dialogue at least, expository dialogue. We're more forgiving yeah. of that on stage, and we almost expect that as part of the stage play than we are in cinema when we're – you know, we we get offended when people try to hold our hands and don't let us take things for granted sometimes. I, I just think that's fascinating. There's absolutely no reason or discernation for that. It just, at least to me, and I know I'm not alone, that's how it comes off. Like, oh, how dare you explain this to me when I'm watching this on Amazon Prime? But if I was in the middle of a theater and watching this on stage play, I'd be like, oh, look, Jim's Brown, Jim Brown ran for 1,863 yards. <laughs> right, and they weaponize it really well in the script at times when there's you know, anecdotes that we'll get into in, in spoilers, but there's also like goofy ass asides mm -hmm. that uh, it, it just, you know, they're, they're all they're doing is just pushing nostalgia buttons. And then and again, it's fine, but um, you know, it, I, it's a nitpick, right. no, no doubt about it. Mike, let's, let's wrap up an Oscar lens on those three real quick. Right now, this is looking like a best picture nominee. This is looking like an adapted screenplay nominee. If the pundits are, to be believed at, mm -hmm. at this point, if they're getting it right about the Academy and Regina King seems to be right on the edge of best director. Do you have, I mean, we could save the feel for our Oscar lens, but do you, do you have any comments on what the pundits are saying? I have a couple comments. I would like to see Regina King break through. I think I saw mm -hmm. a lot of Beale street technique. I wonder how mm -hmm. much of her mm -hmm. time on the Beale street set she took with her here in her uh, feature directorial debut. Cause it's just, this felt very similar to a Barry Jenkins movie. I wonder how much soul is going to help adapted screenplay for Kemp powers. Uh, when we get to Oscar Sunday, do you think soul plays a role not to rhyme, but in, in Kemp powers getting nominated for this over that. I, I wonder if those, uh, if those categories are filled with so many newcomers that he's going to get an, an either, situation there where he won't get both mm. I, that's kind of how i'm feeling you know i, I think there's a lot of love to, love to spread around and some oscar puzzle theoriness involved there i would be i would be surprised but i would be happy for kemp powers uh because there are there are highs in this script 
that sure. uh, are awardable and laudable, no question about it, even though there is that one lull that, that bothers both of us. But mm-hmm. all right, we're, we're building towards it. Mike, let's dive into the actors real quick. I guess I'll start with the Oscar lens here. Kingsley Benadir and Eli Gray, they are going for lead actor. It seems like Kingsley's in top 10s. It seems like uh, Eli's in top 15s in terms of the supporting categories. We have Leslie Odom Jr., who's an obvious, uh, you know, atop the leaderboard yeah. kind of front runner pick for supporting actor, whereas Aldous Hodge is in a lot of 10s and 15s, Mike. For the life of me. Look, Leslie Odom Jr. is a fantastic talent. I think he's on the cusp of super duper stardom. I can't believe his voice. Quite frankly, I understand the hype yeah. that comes with him for this performance. But for the life of me, I will not understand how Eli Goray is not a bigger deal on more lists after what I saw. For, I mean, degree of difficulty, obviously we're all going to bring our own experiences to watching these characters play out. We're all going to compare right. what Kingsley Benadir did with this Malcolm X to Denzel's Malcolm X. We're all going to compare this Cassius Clay to Will Smith's Muhammad Ali. Like, those are the two biggest... I think yeah. degree of difficulty performances. I think Kingsley Benadir was did a respectable Malcolm X. I think Eli Goray was a better Ali than Will Smith. Ali King, I mean Eli Goray is Ali. I mean that was Muhammad Ali. I was watching on screen. I was watching the uh, the highlights of the two Sonny Liston's fights, mm-hmm. and I, I tweeted it out for people on yeah, our Twitter feed. I saw that. And it is remarkable how closely Eli. Goray, it's insanity. Yeah. I mean, the guy is a, is a carbon copy. If is that not what performing is supposed to be? It's rare that that somebody like Muhammad Ali, who's so huge. I mean, this right. guy had tree trunks for arms and legs. I mean, the speed. Nobody can replicate the punching speed and, and whatnot. I mean, maybe if they sped up the film, mm-hmm. which I would have liked. Again, I mean, I mean we're, we're these weird jock theater kids, you know, hidden in <laughs> jocks who are forced to play sports our whole lives. Again, that is our dilemma. Right. But we understand tail of the tape. And that was the my biggest issue with that performance was that they didn't get the punching speed right because he's the fastest That's so funny. I have I have but, one of my one of my worst is that this boxing looks terrible. I'm with you, but go ahead. <laughs> otherwise, this is I mean, talk about, you know, Talk about all the Ali sound bites, and I, I mean, how many documentaries have you watched about Muhammad Ali? I've yeah. watched a dozen. I mean, there are so many great ones, uh, and so I mean, I, that's a, that's a career that I've studied uh, after, obviously, after the fact, and years later, and, I, and I'm just riveted every time I get one of those. So, yeah, it's it's amazing to to have Ali just manifest in a movie like this. And again, I roll my eyes at a few of the most memorable quotes being used, but it just it, it does work. That being said, they had a tough decision on their hands, Mike. They had to basically posture two of these guys and kind of put forward two of them. Eli Goray up against the Malcolm X performance, up against the huge scenes of, of Kingsley Benadir. If he's being up up against Kingsley Benadir, I would say that it's obvious where they should, you know, kind of focus in terms of who they're pushing. And, and the same could be said for Aldous Hodge, who's such a great assist man in this, but he's the poised rock right. of this cast. Right. And he's the guy who's allowing these other guys to go off. And when he does have a big speech, it's it's in a whisper or it's in, you know, the delivery is just not there for that typical showy Oscar performance. Yeah, so it's very clear again, how they're posturing supporting actor. And 
Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance, in my opinion, it's just one that has that something special to it, that has that X factor. And in a year of like 25 to 30 supporting actors who, to me, are on similar levels, where we don't have that runaway candidate as of yet, maybe Daniel Kaluuya is the guy that we've been, you know, thinking all year is, might be yeah. that runaway, uh, runaway winner. But I do think up till now, Leslie Odom, it's not Gaga levels of performing within the performance, but it is Goosebump Factory levels. It's very good. That, that final song that he's singing throughout the movie and the fact that he's able to, to go back and forth and hold his own and all those electric arguments with these, you know, these, these historically charged characters and scenarios. The fact that he's able to do both, I, I just didn't realize what a damn talented actor he yeah. is. So it's almost that pleasant surprise factor as much as it is, oh my God, look at him control a whole room with that voice alone. Yeah. And, and he's performing there. I can absolutely see the love for Leslie Odom Jr. I, I think I'm soured a bit. So they do something with his character that I, and I'll get to it in spoilers. That I just don't understand. I think that's souring me on the, the, the whole role of Sam cook uh, to, to be right. honest. And I think I'm letting that affect me, but I understand completely the love for him, man. I, I just wish Goray. I wonder if they positioned Goray as the lead because they thought Odom was the best chance at a performing Oscar. You know, does that make I, sense? I do like think they, so. That's right? They I'm put on Kingsley the and yeah, they put Kingsley yeah. and and Goray in one category. They wanted a, a one category with just one name in it to try and position it to win. So if if they thought that Goray was their best chance at an Oscar, they would have put Kingsley Benadir as a supporting with Odom. Now, it's also, to be fair to them, it's also in terms of story structure, I, well, I don't know. It, it really is quite the forehander. Well, that's the, que that's the question Benadir. I was going to ask. Who's, whose yeah. movie do you think it is? Which character's movie do you think it is most? Well, the epilogue and well, the prologue is is times four yeah i don't know i mean i think there's more screen time for malcolm x that's what i, I would say that that's what i would say and kingsley benadir has a bit more screen time but he's also not getting the finale as much as some other characters i yeah it, it's a tough call I, I would agree with you just you know sheer oscar punditry mm -hmm. for, for for those reasons alone I would say that Aldous Hodge is is clearly the assist man here. He is setting these other guys up Agreed. more than he's paying paying off his own scenes. Although he has his own scenes, Eli Garay has a moment at the end. Obviously, Leslie Odom Jr. has a couple moments throughout the finale, and Kingsley Benadire has some just you know teeth clattering moments in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be one of those scenarios where I do think they're they're doing it right even in terms of uh, what, what the people are going to vote on in the Academy. I think there's a lot of love for, uh, for Leslie Odom Jr. coming off of Hamilton and how the whole world got to see Hamilton finally. So it makes some sense to me. I wonder if Oscar, Pu Oscar Puzzle Theory is going to factor in with him being the singer of and the performer of the best original song candidate, though, Mike, as we transition into production values here. That's kind of the blueprint that uh, Cynthia Arrivo followed last year. I, I, if you mm -hmm. can get... Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. singing on the Oscar stage or over Zoom or however they're going to do it. Uh, I, I think that would definitely help. And that's going to endear him even more uh, to the Academy. As far as production values in general, I got to be honest, the costumes I thought were good and, and appropriate right. for the time. 
I was not overly wowed by anything in terms of set design or cinematography. I'm camera blind a lot. I take it for granted. I take camera movements for granted. That's something I've noticed certainly recently in talking with you more and more. So am I missing something? Is there something that's that wowed you here? Production design, to me, was high quality for the Act 1 and Act 3 sequences, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a variety of sets during the, the, the you know, times four prologue or at times four setups in act one. And then you got several variety of sets in act and act three, the middle of the movie is one hotel room mm-hmm. and one rooftop. I mean, it is a play in the middle of the movie and it's a very kind of barren room. So in, in Ma Rainey terms, we just talked about Ma Rainey there where we had kind of the same deal where it's a, it's a chamber piece for act two, but acts one and then act three, you're coming in and out of these just, lavish sets and 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 you know that that's where the production design shines the most it, it's gonna hurt you know going up against a mank going up against sure seems to be the u.s versus billy holidays uh category there and, and there's a couple more obviously where i don't have the the contenders in front of me but definitely you know mank seems to be winning a lot because mank is just all over hollywood it's that uh you know movies about making movies and we get to see all you know saint simeon etc so yeah, production design it, it earns its money early and at the end. I think cinematography is just really smooth and classy. I think film editing is perhaps underrated because that's where film editing needs to shine in a chamber piece, whether it's yeah. 12 Angry Men or The Hateful Eight or One Night Miami, Mike. Yep. Uh, they're sensing a theme of numbers in these titles, the chamber <laughs> pieces, but I, I really love the editing myself. Yeah, I, I think that's something that could definitely be taken for granted. And when you do have... A play, a stage play that that translates to cinema, the editing has to be almost flawless to kind of keep you invested because there are lulls that are just naturally going to come because of the way the any kind of play is paced. Uh, Mm -hmm. I agree that's something that could be easily overlooked. I think it shouldn't be taken for granted. I would like to see it. I think if this gets nominated for Best Picture, which I expect it to, I would think the editing would get a lot of credit by the Academy. I hope so. And I, I, I think uh, Regina King is involved in that process as well. And, and I think that Tariq Anwar is on the level there. I, uh, I'm really impressed uh, with how slick it was, with how, with how upon rewatches, I noticed it like crazy. Because upon first watch, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm under the spell of the movie. Right. So that that's and the same could be said about the score. Terrence Blanchard here. To me, this is the better score between this and the five bloods. I don't know if you think differently, but I, I, I do think that, you know, he's on the fringe, so to speak, with, with with this possibility. Costumes are on the fringe, according to the pundits cinematography. Like I said, original song seems definite. And then it's it's editing and production design. Uh, sound and makeup and hairstyling. I'm surprised that sound and makeup and hairstyling are such long shots right now because that prosthetic nose just works. But uh, <laughs> any any other takeaways? Yeah, I don't know what costume design the Costume Guild wants. I mean, we've, we've seen something that seems like such a given in Dolomite where how the hell do you find those fabrics in 2020 or 2019 uh, get overlooked even with the, the legacy name like Ruthie Carter attached to it. These costumes, I think if you're doing yeah. a biopic or a historical piece, 
you have something to work off of, but it's still amazing to me that they get them so recognizably right. Like, this is a totally different approach than something like Dolomite or something like a period piece we give it credit for. This is exactly spot on. You know you're looking at Malcolm X because of the dress. You know you're looking at Muhammad or Cassius Clay in the ring because of uh, the, the famous shots we've seen and the shot of him training underwater and all that. So I would like to see costume design get a little more credit uh for at least a technical award, and that would give me hope towards a Best Picture win for this as well, but I, I just, I don't know what costume design looks for or preferences other than they like their big stuffy gown period pieces. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much more than you do, uh, and I'll make an even kind of more embarrassing uh, takeaway myself, is that it's dresses over suits. Right, and yes, just, <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, it's I so true. <laughs> U.S. versus Billie Holiday, Emma, Little Women, etc., 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 that's kind of what they're looking at phantom thread more than you know 10 different kinds of uh suits mm-hmm. this year and you know i mean i, I think ma rainey's black bottom it, it's got a combination of both you know dresses and suits right. so maybe that's maybe that's an obvious nominee in this particular year but yeah i think uh i think as an oscar lens wrap-up though mike i think we have some likely nominees at this point with picture I still think script, according to the pundits, is there. Song, I, I would say song is the, 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 the leader in terms of power ranking the contenders. Supporting actor is right there with, uh, with song for Leslie Odom Jr. Then we have picture script, production design, and maybe film editing as six likely nominations. Po- possible nominations, director, lead actor with Kingsley Benadir, score, costume, cinematography are all kind of on the fringe. They're in, they're out, they're they're being projected, they're not. Long shots, sound, lead actor, Goray, supporting actor, Hodge, makeup, and hair. What kind of over-under should we put on this? I have no idea. We forgot to do it in our last episode, well, but is it a 6.5? Is it a 5.5? That's the thing. It dep- I think it depends on how you, well, as all things Oscars do, I think it depends on how you view this as, in terms of a best picture. Is this a lock for best picture nominating? If you say yes, then I think you got to get to like over under 5.5 or six, you know, six noms total with this. Uh, mm-hmm. So I th- we both are talking like we expect this to be there for Best Picture. It seems like the punditry at large expects this to be there for Best Picture. So I think uh, I would put the over-under maybe at a square six and, and threaten you to uh, to pick a push. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I, I just think it's such a big, fat hit with audiences that uh, I don't see the momentum subsiding at this moment. So it is... Well, it's an important move. I mean, it's so reflective right now yes. i mean my god could it be more appropriate than what we're going through and it's so important to listen to and it's a it, it teaches you lessons about how to hear the other side and how you could have differing viewpoints even though you're playing on the same team and my i mean good lord so i i, I, I you know how i feel about that stuff that shit yeah. matters when it comes to oscars in terms of me the movie should reflect the times uh and this one does as well as anything else. So because that conversation is ongoing and longstanding, yeah, I think this I could see this one having that sort of momentum, even though for me, it's maybe not the most cinematic offering we've had even in this year. And it's probably a good reason for that because it's a play. Right, right. <laughs> and I mean, like not, that's not of, me denigrating it, yeah. Yeah, it's not the first time this year where the play happens in Act Two and then the you know, the the movie happens in Acts one and three. You mm-hmm. know, that that's and you do your best you make it as cinematic as possible in act two and they they have uh increasing levels of success with that as act two goes along and, and ma rainey was different i think because ma rainey decided mike that uh this was gonna have the same snappy fast pace that that, that they showcase there in the theater and that they showcase in the play and 
it's a little different with this movie. I do think there's the slowdown. So I just wonder, I wonder if this movie does hit a speed bump or two in terms of its momentum at this point in turn, because it has three months and people are going to rewatch these. People are going to watch these for the first time up against the rest of the field. And I feel like right now it could go either way. There's, there's, there's a tension everywhere on this movie, and that is that is remarkable for the fact that it's a you know a first time feature film, silver screen effort from Regina King. That it's a you know the play that that uh, really launched the career of Kemp Powers. That's remarkable that they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, with well, their if, first try. If it is something that loses momentum, you can see it being you know a six or seven nominated movie that maybe wins one, like maybe Leslie Odom wins it. That type of right. it could be Beale Street, you know, all over again. That type of that type of thing. Even though Beale Street, I think, won two for its screenplay as well. I and mean, this could just as well. The way people are talking about it, its adapted screenplay chances. So, yeah, I, I, I or mean, or it could be the best picture of the year. Right, exactly. <laughs> I could see it. I could see it stalling out, or I can see it. I'm like you. I can see it going all the way and and just being a multi four or five winner. So it's it's really going to be you know this this is one of those rare cases I think where the elongated Oscar season is going to help this. Uh, because I think if we were to decide right now, I think people would need to talk themselves into picking it for multiple wins, more than two wins, let's say. The more time goes on, you have a little more time to dissect this and appreciate it, and who knows what happens in, God forbid, real life, to reflect this off of maybe this grows in appreciation over the next couple months even more so, and that could help its chances. So uh, definitely, definitely something fascinating to watch. And let's recommend a watch mm-hmm. on this movie before we head into spoilers. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoiler section for the Oscar Sprint profile of the movie One Night in Miami from Amazon Prime, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on this episode. Go check it out on Amazon Prime. We'll be waiting for you to come back and hit play on us. If you've seen this movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much that you need to hear what we're going to say, this is where you want to be. All spoilers for the ins and outs of the plot of One Night in Miami, the Oscar Sprint profile, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And we start the spoiler section this time like we do many times by beginning at the end michael yeah i think this is the right way to do it because that ending just rocks I, it is one of the best endings of the year in my opinion uh that that outro on that song uh a change is gonna come which i didn't I realize not... was a sam cook song either well uh you're dope i am i, I am i'm an idiot i agree <laughs> I, I haven't had goosebumps like that in a movie this year really uh, until that song for yeah. the first time and and you know when i saw this at the festivals and you can't want you can't do the rewatch thing when when you when you get these movies at a, at a festival i mean it, for me it was in the middleburg and afi watching so even if i could click play on it again i just had another four movies to watch that day so when this movie sat with me it sat with me after that big 
outro, that big ending, that song. And I just had this great feeling. So I was, I was curious to rewatch this and actually dissect it. But that last 20, 30 minutes where they're having the final big argument in the hotel room that they, you know, it kind of went off the rails on the rooftop. It comes back and it really reaches a crescendo with the Bob Dylan song, uh, attack that Malcolm X put on Sam cook. And he's talking about the fact that it's a wake up call and he's working against himself in many ways because he, he, he's kind of ashamed that he has to find an alliance in Cassius Clay to launch his new organization. Malcolm X you're talking about is a shame. He absolutely admits that in the final speech there to Eli Garay's character, right? And where he's like, if you think I'm an opportunist, then break with me. Yeah. If you think that our friendship is, is colored this way, then break with me. And, and, and I, I, I'm worried about it myself, but I think the message of this movie in many ways, and even though they have all these different tacks on how to fight against this backdrop, right? To fight against all of these, you know, all this systematic oppression mm-hmm. and the racism going on at the end of the day, it's they have to help each other to help their communities. And, and and that's like a theme that is just driven home so hard at the end in such a brilliant way. Because after that crazy argument where they admit their wrongdoing, where they admit where their plans are have issues, they each in their own way admit it. And this, talk about a definition of writing rounded characters from Kent Powers. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you, what happened? But yeah, what happens at the end of that though? I mean, Cassius Clay says, "You're coming out there with me, right? I want you by there by my side." <laughs> you know, you might be a little wrong here, but I want you there with me. But, you know, that's great. It's a movie about uh, dueling ideologies, except the ideologies aren't differing on the ends. It's there. It's it's a it's a fight about the means to reach the end. It, you know, yes. it, what's what's the best way to approach this? What's the best way to, to get their message across with activism? Is it, you know, passive disobedience or is it active rah rah riling everyone up? And that's the yeah. the kind of the constitution of Malcolm X's character and Sam Cooke's character versus Sam Cooke's character in this. And Jim Brown and Cassius Clay are Cassius Clay is kind of being pulled both ways because mm-hmm. Sam Cook makes it no I mean he, he busts as soon as Cassius Clay comes out and says he's going to be uh Muslim early in the movie Sam Cook pretty much busts his balls about it because Sam Cook does think this is pretty much just a power play on on Malcolm X's part at least from my understanding of this and you get that sincerity from from Ka- uh, Malcolm X at the end of the like the reason I'm so forgiving of this portrayal of the Malcolm X character is because he he has that sincerity of like look yes I need you but this isn't about that. My friendship with you isn't me manipulating you. If you think that is me, then turn your back on me. No hard feelings. I get it. And that kind of struck a chord. There's just so many layers about not only fighting systemic oppression, fighting open and, and covert racism, uh, standing by your friends. What does friendship mean? It's just such this in-depth, and you're right, well-rounded look at all these issues that I think it's so easy for anyone to relate to, never mind the societal reflection that we are all living through right now in 2021 by watching this movie. Well, it's also a refreshing portrayal of a religious leader, in my opinion, because you have a situation where Elijah Muhammad is kind of a a monster. Demonized. And and it's, 
you know, he's preying on young girls, and for all the good he did that community, he's he is living like the Pharaoh, and he is called out for his hypocrisy mm-hmm. by Malcolm X. And Malcolm X really struggles in dealing with the fact that his hero, the fact that the person who's his mentor and his superior, uh, and and how he has to break from the church at this point and how that leaves the family alone in a struggle that has reached like this fever pitch where he's feeling like he's being tracked by the FBI, where he's feeling like anybody can assassinate him at any moment. And he knows that menace and and foreboding around every corner. But that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about the ending. When Malcolm X is looking out and he thinks he sees the FBI tailing his car or whatever he sees, did you get from that that he understood his life was well um, he, he in the speech on the rooftop he's saying yeah i mean i i need to get you guys on board with this struggle now because i don't know how much longer i have right. in it unfortunately and you he he gets checked by his friends or his friends later on in the film i think somewhere in this third act they're like hey you're you're still a part of this too and he kind of just he understand. He's like, I don't know how far, how much yeah. longer. That's why he's trying to activate. He's trying to activate Sam Cook throughout this. He's trying to activate, uh, you know, Eli Garay throughout this. He knows that Jim Brown has been a, a force in the community uh, financially, and he doesn't understand the level to which Sam Cook has empowered uh, black mm-hmm. businessmen in their community, and that that's something that kind of floors him. That's something he was wrong about uh, throughout this story. But he also now realizes that artistically he wants Sam Cooke to be something bigger than just a behind-the-scenes economic force uh, in the movement. He wants him to be, you know, out in front of it, uh, you know, artistically, and, and that's going to happen. And and they, and it, what's crazy, again, to go back to my religious uh, leader theory, is that he's very forgiving of the guys drinking. He's very forgiving of the... Of, I mean, of the situation kind of getting out of his control. He's prone to bouts of anger and rage uh, throughout, and he's, he's working against himself. That's why this is such a fascinating portrayal. He's working against himself by arguing so hard with these guys, by risking turning Sam Cooke away from him forever, which Sam Cooke tries to do yeah. until he brings him back, and he's like, and he admits kind of the fact that he lied to Sam Cooke when they first met. I mean, this is this is a this is a religious leader that we've seen in other religions never show their flaws like this, and this is Kemp Powers, you know, basically posing these characters in this scenario. Well, I was going to 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 kind of ride the coattails of that. Is that not only are you showing the hypocrisy of religion and, and kind of taking down this religious leader while showing the second in command in Malcolm X? His flaws, he's fighting against himself, but the respect Kemp Powers writes for the Muslim religion, I think, is extraordinary. I mean, you yeah. you have Malcolm X teaching Muhammad Ali through a Muslim prayer, which is just awesome. I mean, you never get that Muslim prayer in on film. Most times, you usually get somebody kneeling on a carpet or with their head down or in mass at, at a at a temple or, or or something. You don't really get the step by step montage that this movie had where you're teaching how to pray properly and why and Showcase. what the prayer is. I mean it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I can't remember ever seeing that on film. One of the best editing yeah. scenes of the film in my opinion. Maybe even perhaps more so than the fights. And there's more cuts in that scene 
then then you'd think the music is different in that scene the score is different in that scene it's it it really was remarkable and it, it, it's part of the slowdown but all right I, it, it it really worked for me as well i just think I just think one of the most refreshing messages on the year is that these guys are honest and Kent Powers is honest in the screenplay to recognize something that I, I don't think the nation at large is recognizing right now. You don't throw out the institution because of some hypocrisy. You don't demonize an institution mm. for the fact that there are issues with it because we're all groups of human beings and we're all flawed. And that's Malcolm X here. He's he's driving that home where he is still adherent to Islam despite the fact that he realizes there's a, there's a monster at the head of his church he's still going to fight for civil rights even though he doesn't necessarily think that the it's it's going the way he he needs it to go and that the community needs it to go and he realized a lot of people some of the most powerful people in that movement are on the sidelines and it's just remarkable to see the forgiveness shown in this movie and as 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 a subtext of this story structure and that is something inherent in in, in soul you know for a forgiveness mm-hmm. for a life yep. of failure in both of those two characters Good right point. those two principal characters and, and this is these are the most successful people in in history at this point and Eli Gray's on top of the world and to just drive home that dramatic principle of your best worst moments and to make a whole act two uh, of historical fiction out of that. I just think the balls on that and the, uh, I, I really love the conception of this story and what it should mean to our society. Yeah. At large. It's not a black white thing for me that when you talk, I mean, this is a political movie yeah. uh, regardless of race. Well, it's not a black white thing, except it also is. I mean, that's why I think this is so. Talented. Of course, it is. But right. I'm just saying it's it, no, no, no. It transcends. Yeah, black the, the point. Race. The point I think you're making is that it. And this is what every great screenwriter does, and why we we talk when we find a script like this, we go crazy about it. Is that regardless of what the protagonist may be, you find a way to relate to the issues going on in your own way, and that's how you know the story is about a billion different things, not necessarily. You said in one of our early episodes, Mike, from one of your screenplay classes, if the script is about what the script is about, then you're fucked. And I think that's yeah. that's so stuck with me because it's so <laughs> true. Like you need the scenes to be about. 10 different things and if it's just about what they're talking about then you don't really have anything fully fleshed out and this is the exact opposite of that i mean kemp powers does such a remarkable job regina king too with her directing getting these performances to play on the subtext Uh, it's it's really just a fascinating thing and it it frustrates me that it's so uncinematic at times and i wonder i'm trying to debate with myself i wonder if i'm trying to convince myself that the slowness the pacing of this the slow down do you think that helps the conflict in any way or is it just if this was ma rainey like ma rainey is 96 minutes i think this is an hour and 55 if this was a ma rainey type timeline i wonder if it would be even more effective or do you think the message would get lost somewhere it's it's frustrating because i do think if beale street could talk kind of suffered from the same issue i I do think make we we crushed yeah makes the same thing yep for the same problem and it's not 
that the ingredients aren't important for the story, or that they don't work structurally for the story. Those four out of five scenes around after the Sonny Liston fight, it's important for Malcolm X to talk to his daughter. And I had I teared up when he's doing the little scavenger hunt with his daughter mm-hmm. on the phone there. It's important that we see the uh, the the G-men, mm-hmm. you know, stalking him essentially. It's important that those guys kind of lay the groundwork, and it's almost like the sparring before the fighting in Act Two when the play really kicks off and when the the conflict ratchets up. But there are four out of five scenes after the Sonny Liston fight, which is the height of energy and activity, that are boring, that are bummers. Yeah, and I don't need to see these guys kind of arguing about ice cream. I don't need to see these, you know, ice cream versus chips versus beer. I counted those five scenes. Four kind of just don't work, and I wish they composited them together like like a Ma Rainey did, and just like this whirling, just around the single room argument fight between one another. I think it would have worked better in that regard. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and that's that's part of my general. Like, I want to be so much higher on this. This is such a weird movie. Like, I, yeah. I'm. I love the message of this. I love the script. I love the performances, but it, that just takes me so out of the film. And it was like a slog to get through at the end there. I just, you can't convince me you couldn't cut 20 minutes out of this. Chicago seven green book, the shape of water. They have a lot of issues, Mike, but one of those issues is not pacing. Right. Yeah. And we've seen the Academy opt for the highly paced movie that may not have, that may not have the highs of a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that may not have the highs of The Irishman, or in my opinion, The Favorite, or in my opinion, If Beale Street Could Talk, to look at our past few years. I mean, the highs of those movies are incredible, but they're lengthier films that have major lulls in Mm -hmm. them that take their time. Again, I think it's indulgent in someone like Tarantino, uh, Tino's case, but there's just too much time spent, and I love it on rewatch. And I didn't mind, I didn't mind the lull of this movie because I was able to savor some of the smaller moments of that. But maybe Regina King needed this to be more of a lengthier epic, and it just, it is it is a tone it is a pacing problem. It's not a tone a pacing problem to have 25 minutes take you out of the movie. In fact, my third watch, Mike, I I kind of lost. I lost track of the yeah. movie. I started writing notes, and and uh, I, I kind of came to uh, in my third watch. It's like, oh shit, should I rewind it? Yeah, I I found myself like you know checking the internet, checking my phone. I'm like, oh wait, uh, fucking let's get back. Like, it, it, I hated that. I hated that. And I want maybe that gets lost if I'm not watching it in a theater. I I, I don't know, but I, like I think it's very important to underscore all the good things we're saying about this movie. For me, I I think it's tough to to say. Wow, this is no doubt the best watching experience of the year. There's a glaring flaw, and that was my review three months ago, yeah. and it's still my review now. Now, you, you, do you have any other worst scenes before we kind of finish with some best? Um, yeah. So one is in passing. Um, the boxing looks terrible. <laughs> I don't know why it's so. Even in Rocky movies, professional boxing yeah. is so hard to get right in movies. I don't think I've ever seen a, a movie fully do it. Uh, maybe Creed was the best I've seen, but it just anyway. That's me being an ass. Anyway, uh, the bigger problem I have, I don't understand Sam Cooke's placement in these this group of four. Well, I think. But here's the thing. I think you understand the placement 
you just think it's a contrivance? Yes, that's exactly, that's that's a more eloquent way of putting it. Like, to me, for the first three-fourths of this movie, Sam, the, the character of Sam Cooke's existence was just to be the devil's advocate or the counterpoint to Malcolm X's swaying Cassius Clay. Like, you had Jim right. Brown, who was the voice of reason and maybe the audience surrogate in a way, but Sam Cooke was just supposed to be the aid to the, you know, to Malcolm X's ego or the yin to the yang here. You're not wrong. I just think, uh, I think the conflict really ratchets it ratchets up on three sides, and usually it's triangular conflict that works in stories. And Jim Brown's D story is kind of on the back burner. Like Malcolm X is not fighting against Jim Brown right. in these scenes. If not, if anything, you know, Jim Brown is arguing for Malcolm's uh, work, and so and so is. Cassius Clay's character, by the way. So I think, uh, but that's think what that them, that what you just said is the frustration I have with the Sam Cooke character because you have two guys that's, who are fully in for what Malcolm X is selling, or at least mostly in, and then you have one guy. It's almost as if they the they were looking at these characters like, wow, we need someone who's just the antagonist to these thoughts. But that's every screenplay. What you think is going to be the major conflict is actually not. Mm-hmm. And we think the major conflict is going to be between uh, Malcolm X and Cassius Clay. Mm -hmm. And that's how the story is structured. But what actually becomes the major conflict is the the, the A-line conflict is uh, is between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X because they need the anthem. They need, you know, they need artists to take the lead where they can and that's regina king and the studio system right now (laughs) right that's that's what we've been we've been covering for the past four years michael which is again why this message why the message of this movie is so important you know this is regina king realizing you know and making in a very meta way compartmentalizing her own role and the role of movies like this Mm. Hmm. so I think it, if for that to be the loudest movement at the end of the story, even though, you know, I think the most satisfying or the the, the, the the moment that washes over you the cleanest is between Malcolm X and Cassius Clay and then, hey, I need you by my side. Yeah, I get that in terms of the plot, but the epilogue, the, the you know, the, the curtain moment is Malcolm X closing his eyes in relief at the end of a change is going to come mm. and that glorious song that that is my god i've been listening to it all week it's just so good and it just it made me tear up at the end of that movie and it gives you goosebumps every time and the and the way leslie odom sings it is talent that i will never fathom i don't know it's just just he's on un- he's unbelievable he really is also uh they couldn't have picked a worse johnny carson <laughs> yeah, who cares though? <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's not important, but also it's very important. I couldn't. I mean, that's not Johnny Carson. Come on, let's. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, a couple other scenes to highlight, I guess, in terms of best though, Mike, are the rooftop. I thought that really went well yeah. after the camera nerdiness. Uh, I love the anecdotes on Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. I loved Malcolm X playing for the room there, playing it up all the shtick, and then just driving it home 
ruthlessly. The passive-aggressive uh, against- snapping between Sam Cook and Malcolm X, too, when they're both making their points to each other. Sam Cook's talking yeah. about lining his pocket, and Malcolm X is pretending to snap along with Bob Dylan's song. That was great. And then uh, I-, I think it's really important to have uh, Jim Brown as as that stoic character in the background whispering you know, to Malcolm X and trying and, and, and leveling with Malcolm where he should be in all this and how he had, I mean, that's the, you know, consummate teammate, right? The guy who, who runs behind the offensive line, the guy who in sports terminology never blocked, but in this movie does nothing but blocking, does nothing but the dirty work. So Aldous Hodge and Jim Brown in this film, in this story is, is really uh, allowing the other guys to, to shine and uh, once the movie gets going, I love the slow down whispering argument uh, with uh, right. Jim Brown and Malcolm X, etc. Yeah, and and Jim Brown is kind of the one that illuminates Malcolm X's point of view to make him understand where Sam Cooke is coming from, too. And the whole, you know, once you control the purses is when you control the power, too. And that's not something that he thinks Malcolm X has kind of uh, taken into consideration from Sam's well, POV. He's rejecting it because he's facing financial ruin right he's facing his family he doesn't want to believe street. that yeah and in the epilogue that happens anyway because there's a the fire bomber i mean my god a terrifying epilogue there to, to malcolm x's life awful and what really happened absolutely to him. horrific uh you know what was interesting too about this I, I i watched this alongside my mother and i wonder how many other people had this idea and it goes it certainly is reflective and i, I do have it as as a best um just because of what happened but she made the exclamation after the movie was over. She's like, wow, I thought Malcolm X was always considered to be a bad guy. And I know that thought is out there amongst Ugh. people who like were taught a certain way in school and were taught certain things. And we we're, there's this big conversation going on right now about the whitewashing of history classes in school systems. And it, right. it, it's just so... I wonder if this can help illuminate more people to the idea of wider thinking to taking a, a you know a more panoramic view of people in general and considering i mean it's the same type of thinking of like the u.s is always the good guy in war well no they're not i mean there's no, a lot of times not. right exactly and that's just it, it's fascinating to me these these thought processes that people have to have never considered the other side of the argument and i think that's some good that this movie can help do whether you're talking about the man Malcolm X and what he did historically in real life, or whether you're talking about just listening to the other side of the argument, which is clearly what happens between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke in this, even though Jim Brown has to kind of run interference. I think Ken Powers did a wonderful job with those dimensions on these characters. I think he addressed a lot of misperceptions, historical misconceptions Mm. uh, within the dialogue of this movie you know, almost to a fault, like he's planting in, you know, JFK stuff and he's planting in the the other guys using Malcolm X's words against him and using the most misunderstood things he's ever said against him and maybe some PR issues that he had throughout his activism. But I, you know, I do think there's whitewashing in, in his history departments throughout our country, but I hope that's not happening as much. It didn't happen for me and in my upbringing. It, it couldn't happen when, you know, my high school teacher showing me Spike Lee's film right. in class. And, you know, I'm grateful to the movie industry for that. But again, it's, 
it could happen if like the 40 year old version again they're making fun of this fact but if it could happen if there had to be a white surrogate character in this movie it could have happened if there was a white director in this movie yeah. and we have issues uh with with, with uh, pov and that's not the case in this movie and that's and and, and that's the relief and that's how refreshing a, a film like this is and i wish i didn't have to say that in 20 freaking 20 but it is the truth yeah i, com- I completely agree and it's you know hopefully again it could be the power of movies and it's hopefully even if it provides you a different avenue with which to think about the same things differently i think that's a good thing i think the message of this movie is better than maybe how this plays as a movie itself. Well, I, I do think there's major goods delivered, though. I, I agree. Think the highs agree. of this film are incredible. I think uh, any movie that brings you to tears by the end and makes you it makes you smile at the same time is uh, is just an incredible achievement. So for Regina King, who again, it's not really her directorial debut. She's had twenty chances to do this on a major level, mm-hmm. but finally she gets the chance to be Oscar eligible. I guess you'd say non-documentary in that way. The fact that she's now at the forefront of Best Director, Best Picture is is refreshing. It is just such a happy moment, and it's well deserved and it's well earned. I think in this movie, in a year like this, can you overlook a flaw? Uh, in, in a script can you overlook a letdown maybe it's not a letdown for other people maybe it's not a letdown for the academy because again the last 30 40 minutes make could make a lot of one-time watchers forget you know some of the lulls in the first 40, first 30 40 minutes i don't know i don't know how it's going to play i would just i wouldn't sleep on this movie's potential to go all the way no, no 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 i mean i mean of the and we can get into final grades, and this is kind of where I'm thinking of this the whole time, too. I'm like an 84. I'm like a B just because it's tough for me to go B plus A minus if I was finding myself to be bored by the movie itself. And that's why I say I think the message and the highlights of this are maybe more valuable or, or, or longer lasting uh, than the film itself. But that's also why the film could stick with you in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just of the movies in this range... You know, I'd be happy to see all of them nominated or win or break through, but I think I would be happiest to see this have legs and be a multi-time Oscar winner because it would mean so much. It would give it a bigger stage and a bigger spotlight and more think pieces and more conversations about it, and it would mean the Academy gets it, <laughs> which Finally. which they no, don't always they didn't get do. It two years ago. right, exactly. They didn't get it two years ago. They didn't. They're clueless, and uh, everybody raged for good reason, and. Uh, in an in a inferior movie, in my opinion. So yeah. It just may be better paced, I guess. But bottom line for me is that I had this B plus 88, my, you know, tied for my second highest grade of the year because I've had a lot of 89s and I've had a lot of 88s this year. So it's just in that mix. Like, you could... You could take the my eighth movie of the year and substitute it with my twenty second right. movie of the year, and that's the depth of this year. By the way, this movie has a it's a deep bench of B plus level movies, and yeah, maybe we didn't get the A's and A minuses this year, but like anything is possible for me in terms of grades, in terms of where these movies wind up in my list. So I was you know doing the film study, I moved it down to an eighty seven, but talk, talking to you today, I think I'm talking myself back up to a B plus eighty eight. Sorry, Mike. I know you. Uh, you know, sometimes you, like you succeeded in Soul. You talked me up in Soul. You succeeded in Pieces of a Woman. You talked me up there. Uh, legitimately, uh, talked me up points in those movies. But I do think, uh, I do think, I talked myself up today. 
<laughs> There's nobody better at being me than me is the lesson that today today that happens. <laughs> well, uh, I agree with you that I agree with me. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we found a mutual understanding. There. Well, what matters most, as always, is we want to hear from you, dear listener. What were your takeaways from one night in Miami? What do you give it as a grade? What do you think about the highs and lows? Did you get lulled a little bit by the uh, the pacing of it? We want to hear from you as well. You can leave us all other comments, questions, and concerns on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would take about 10 seconds out of your day and make our entire one. Michael, what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom to end on here? So what's coming next is a kind of a two-part episode that was really fun to record with uh, Colby Mack at Colby Told Me. That was our non-spoiler review of News of the World, the Tom Hanks Western movie there, Helena Zengel. And then uh, the last half hour, we did that for the first half hour. The last half hour, we did a Tom Hanks Top 5 show, and it's it's a fun uh, countdown. It's a fun back and forth between me and Colby there. And... uh, Words of wisdom, anything that Kemp Powers wrote down on the page yeah. of this movie is good enough for me. And really, it really just, uh, it, ble- it blessed us, you know, coming out of a movie like this. I just feel, just feel so much better about the world. And I, maybe I'm glad that this is coming before the world falls apart again yeah. this week, tomorrow, maybe the day we're releasing this. Yeah. I hope not. I really hope. Everybody stay safe out there. Uh, and please... Um, Please overcome all this nonsense with politics and whatnot. It's just dragging us down, and and we do we do have to come together. No, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, based on how far afield some people have gone. But uh, maybe I am putting my own two cents here politically. But yeah, I do think it it has to be, it has to be a meeting of the minds, and it, and it's there's hard work to be done in that regard. I think that's beautifully put. And uh, as an aside, I can't wait to wake up from surgery tomorrow in episode one of The Walking Dead. So No, please not. <laughs> Stay safe, Mike One, by the way. Thank you, buddy. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.